Well, South Africa's capital markets are in a bit of a state of crisis, and I don't say that flippantly. Yes, there is a global trend towards fewer listed companies with the rise of private markets, uh, but in South Africa, the delistings deluge is acute. The Johannesburg uh, Securities Exchange faces a daunting challenge. If you look at the numbers over the last two decades, the number of listings is nearly halved, dropping from 616 in 2000 to just under 300 in 2023. And it's a confluence of factors. Uh, we've got obviously uh, some own goals and, and the local macroeconomic environment, uh, uh, mutterings about uh, things like onerous listing standards. Uh, but there's also been um, a, a rise in uh, private markets all around the world, um, companies now choosing to go and raise capital off listed equity markets. Uh, but the big question, I guess, for investors is how does this delistings deluge impact my investment portfolio? And uh, Sean Nettling, head of investments at Morningstar South Africa, uh, has recently written a, a very interesting op-ed on the matter. Sean, great to have you on the show just to unpack this debate around the, the impact that delistings have on one's portfolio. Just firstly, uh, how is this trend in delistings on the JSC compared to what we see in global markets. Hi, Michael, and thank you for having me on the show and good day to your listeners as well. So I think, you know, you touched on a very important point up front, you know, two decades ago or sort of 25 years ago, the structure of the market was very different to what it is today. So if you look at, you know, in 2000, mining companies really dominated the index and particularly gold mining companies, whereas today you do have somewhat more of a balanced index if you look across financial resources um, and industrials. So the market structure is very different today versus what it was, I suppose, a couple of years ago. But South Africa is not, again, unique in this delisting trend. I think what you found, uh, what you're finding around the world is, you know, stock markets are becoming especially concentrated. Um, it's massively topical if you look at the U.S. as an example at this point in time. But our work has shown, if you look at Europe and also the U.K., you know, there's been a fair amount of merger and acquisition activity um, and net you know, listings have been trending downwards for a fairly substantial period of time. So again, South Africa, not unique. Um, I do think in South Africa, what we have is an especially concentrated sort of top 40, uh, where you have approximately those top 40 stocks accounting for 85% of the index. So that does pose some challenges in terms of how funds are constructed and how you actually manage that risk. So uh, how can investors realistically navigate a market concentrated to the hilt such as it is? D does this approach even work when, when fundamentals are kind of thrown out the window? Yes, I think, uh, you know, Michael, we really look at it through through two lenses. You know, on, 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 on the one end, you've got a market right now which is concentrated, but you've also got a market structure where, you know, you have very benchmark cognizant fund managers, um, particularly running equity strategies, where you are largely forced into those top 40 stocks. Um, and then you have more differentiated stock pickers that sit outside that, that do have a, a relatively wider universe to actually access. How these things combine in a portfolio is probably the most important thing. Um, so the way that we look at it from the other lens is really through that portfolio construction risk management lens to be able to make sure we access that, let's call it more concentrated top 40 um, in a very nuanced way. Um, and then we balance that out with more, let's call it active share exposure um, that I suppose more differentiated stock pickers can can access. And I, I suppose, um, you know, that when we look at investor concerns is, is one of the primary ones that investors need to address when facing a, a continuously shrinking local investment universe, especially in terms of market concentration and, uh, and volatility. You know, how does one select outside of 
those that just look at a benchmark and, and who look at the broader universe. But first, how do you foresee this shrinking universe impacting different types of investors from your benchmark agnostic managers to those focusing on small and mid-cap domestic equities? Do, do you think those could become the flavor of the month as uh, this concentration is just set to kind of increase uh, with the weightings of uh, NASPAS and others? Yeah, Michael, that's a really good question. Look, I think if you split, uh, I suppose, the universe out into managers that are somewhat more benchmark cognizant versus more benchmark agnostic managers, I think if you look at managers that have historically sort of tracked the index more closely, you know, the delisting trend doesn't really change, I suppose, the way that they would go about investing. You know, they've already been allocating capital to the current, let's call it, universe as if it was narrower than what it actually is. So the delistings don't actually affect that. Because mostly, you know, the delistings over the last, I suppose, five, 10 years have been smaller mid-cap and fledgling companies. So those mm. companies would largely sit outside the investable universe. Those managers, I suppose, at this point in time, you know, with the relaxation in, uh, in Regulation 28, uh, you know, the opportunity set now is wider if you combine South Africa and global. So with the ability to take 45% offshore, um, you know, what we have seen is a trend of combining, let's call it more concentrated South African holdings um, with the ability to, again, externalize capital and do more stock picking offshore. For more benchmark agnostic managers, you know, their universe is shrinking to a certain extent, particularly in the mid-cap space. Um, and we have seen some, you know, pretty prominent, uh, I suppose, delistings there. And those managers, again, you know, if you look at, again, the relaxation across Regulation 28, um, their universe now is potentially, again, that wider universe where they can pick stocks offshore. But the universe across mid-cap and small caps um, is somewhat more constrained and limited than what it was before. So they need to work a lot harder uh, to find ideas. And the other challenge that they also face is that the liquidity in those names outside Top, sorry, top 40, um, mm. is not as, I suppose, pronounced as what it is in the, at the index level. So they need to work a lot harder to generate that ret- those returns for clients. It, it's so interesting uh, because I see a lot of managers now saying that you can combine uh, local and offshore in one house. You don't have to go with a local manager and then for your offshore, look for a global manager who understands that space. Uh, there's a kind of narrative in the market that this can all be done in one house. Do you buy that just given how large the global investment universe is? Or is this just more managers trying to talk to their own book because of, of that shrinking opportunity set locally and that they want to keep funds in-house? Sure. Michael, look, I think at Morningstar, um, we certainly are not of the view that global equity needs to be managed by global equity managers and, you know, local needs to be, I suppose, more restricted to uh, to local managers. We do have some really good stock pickers in South Africa that are resourced both uh, in terms of team uh, and experience to be able to go and find really good opportunities offshore. Um, I do, there is a compelling argument for splitting that, um, but it's, it's very much going to differ by manager on a case-by-case basis. You're also seeing a very strong convergence of ideas in the global space. Um, and that's why I mentioned South Africa is not unique in market concentration. If you look at you know, a lot of portfolios today, significant exposure to the so-called Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Um, so portfolios, even on a global basis, are not as differentiated as what they would appear to be. Um, and that's really locked into market structure. 
So we actually do see, you know, managers in South Africa um, that are not necessarily constrained by, you know, benchmarking to the MSCI world, or MSCI Acqui, and having, again, a wider investment universe to allocate and look at differentiated pockets of opportunity across the globe. We are seeing some managers add significant value there um, and alpha. But I also see, you know, in some some other managers' cases, it does make sense to split that. So it, it does depend on, a, I suppose, on a case-by-case basis. Um, but certainly on our side, not a not a binary argument in terms of, you know, local being managed by local and global by global managers. Right. Um, and, and I suppose that really it is a horses for courses thing. You've got to um, sure. look at the individuals and say, right, do you have the right people uh, and do you have the right processes and incentive structures and that kind of thing to give me comfort as an investor that you can actually uh, deliver alpha um, offshore and, and both locally? As an investor, how does one go about understanding that, uh, understanding all of those inputs that uh, create alpha at a manager level? What are the kinds of things that investors should be asking? Yeah, Michael, so I think on, on our side, what we're most mindful of, like I mentioned to you, is this change in, let's call it, market structure. Um, again, say if you look at markets in, I suppose, 2000 versus today, uh, the makeup of the JSC or the local market very really different. So, you know, you have structural change at a market level, um, but then you also have structural changes that affect markets. And like I mentioned, changes in the re- regulation 28 do largely do that. So I think, you know, it's always good to look at sort of base rates and time series data to get a, an idea of, you know, what you can expect from certain certain asset classes and uh, I suppose certain positions. But with some of these structural changes, you know, at Morningstar, we take a forward-looking view. Um, and then we really look at how South African assets are priced relative to global. So again, in aggregate, we think South African assets and South African equities in particular are particularly cheap um, versus global assets or global equities um, on the other side, which we think are, are relatively more expensive. So the way we think about fund construction is when you're combining those two um, to make sure that you do have some asymmetry in your portfolio, just to make sure that you have positions paying off at different points in time, um, at that element of robustness that is built into portfolios, both combining that global and that offshore exposure. Yeah, I guess uh, often the million-dollar question around valuation in in South Africa is, uh, yes, assets are, are very cheap, but uh, how does the old saying go about the valuable house in a dodgy neighborhood? Yeah, uh, sure. Foreigners just aren't buying at the moment. D- do you think we can turn things around or, uh, you know, is the real risk here of, of being kind of a value trap amongst emerging markets? Just mm-hmm. as a last thought. So that's that's an excellent question, Michael. Well, I think, you know, the way we look at it at, at Morningstar, again, is we would really look at, let's call it implied returns, and there would be more nuanced than specific in terms of looking both at the underlying sector, um, so let's say across financials, industrials, and resources, and then do additional work, obviously, on the underlying companies. What we are finding in South Africa at this point in time is if we break down, I suppose, the expected drivers of return across growth, across yield, and across valuation, you know, you don't actually need valuation, uh, sorry, you don't actually need growth to do too much in order for you to unlock those returns. If you compare that to global markets, you know, we're finding that valuations are especially stretched and you are overly reliant on exceedingly punchy growth to actually get you those returns. So if we actually break down the South African market, I think it's it's very different from what we're seeing on, on the global side. But at the same time, we're at a point in time where I think 
if you look at election cycles in South Africa, if you look at the challenges that we have, uh, we do think that it's going to take a longer time to unlock that value. Um, and that's why thinking about it from a portfolio perspective and making sure that across different mandates, uh, again, you provide that robustness and uh, symmetry to your portfolio. Um, that's the best way to really, I suppose, protect client interest. Yeah, and uh, why Regulation uh, 28 uh, amendments to allow up to 45% offshore? Um, what was really um, quite good timing, I think, for uh, asset allocators uh, in South Africa. Thank you very much, Sean Nettling, Head of Investments at Morningstar South Africa, just unpacking a little bit more of the emerging trends or the factors that uh, he believes will shape the investment landscape in the wake of increased delistings here on Classic Business.